Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Alex LeBlanc, vocalist for the new Canadian deathcore death metal band Fracturus. Alex is more well-known for his time in Naraxis and other bands, although he brings what he's learned over the years back in full force with this new project. Between him and his other bandmates, this new group has no shortage of talent, and I'm excited to see where things go. Fracturus debuted with the five-song EP, La Pelle du Vide, in late 2021. Alex, welcome. Thank you. Hey, that was a nice intro. <laughs> I appreciate that. Was a very that. Thank nice you so much. intro. <laughs> it's one of the first times I haven't fucked it up, so I'm happy. <laughs> okay, can I ask the first question? Of okay. course. Okay, I'm going to ask the first question. Ta-da! Um, are we deathcore? Are we... I'm not really sure. Um, a lot of the times I just go on what's on metal archives and uh, I know that bands kind of have their own feeling about what their sounds are like. So as long as it's good, I don't really care what the genre no, is. No, I'm the same. Like, I, I, like you can tell me I'm like neoclassical country music. If you like it, you like it. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't care what it's just like. A, I feel for us, we're more like that metal, but we do have some deathcore elements but i don't know i don't know like it's because so far like i am um, i'm getting offers from like as much as deathcore bands than death metal bands to do shows with so i guess we fit both worlds which i love by the way <laughs> which i love because i want to play with everybody so then you're a fan of deathcore as well huh? if what then you're a fan of deathcore yeah i'm not the uh, I wouldn't say I'm like the biggest fans, but like I like some deathcore bands. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Like I like, I like uh, 95% of the time if those bands start clean singing, they lose me. But I guess that's more metal, gets more metalcore in that way. But even though like deathcore still do it, sometimes but uh i feel sometimes like the line is pretty blurred too you know it's just like uh it's like a spectrum so like there where we might be like a dead core closer to that metal some people even say we're a tech that band which well i think with like extreme metal there's always a level of technicality involved and yeah. obviously heaviness too so I think a lot of the genres are so intertwined now. It's just, it's hard to draw a hard line in the sand, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I know Greg, my guitar player who writes all the song, he's the mastermind. Basically like he, he likes to mix it up. He likes to mix it up and he also likes to try some stuff. Do you feel that bringing in different influences from different genres gives you a little bit more creative freedom? Yeah. Well, it doesn't put limits, that's for sure. Like, we can do a breakdown if we want, and we can gravity blast at 300 BPM in the same song. It's just, it's just like, there's no... Okay, like, that's always been my thing, writing music, and I feel it's never been as, as much employed in this band that my thing about... When I'm creating music, my thing is always, it has to be as heavy and as catchy as as can be, you know? So if it's catchy and it's heavy and it feels right, 
I don't care what scale you use. I don't care what speed you play. I don't care what style you're, uh, you know, if it feels right and it's heavy and it's catchy, I'm in. That's basically it. And my guitar player knows. So he's yeah, just for like, me, he like comes some out, of the only times that really matters you know, is if they're like, playing a show with. Um... Sometimes we'll have like, uh, you still hear me? Yeah, uh, you were cutting out for a while, so I thought uh, I thought you weren't speaking anymore. Oh, okay, but this is a... I can hear you okay, again. Cool. Okay, so uh, yeah, so basically, whatever it's basically whatever feel like I said, like whatever feels right. Okay, if there's a riff he comes out with, and I'm like, eh, I tell him right away, I'm not gonna, you know, and me and my guitar player, we have, I feel like. I have such a specific style and my drummer also and my guitar player knows that so well that he's just like whatever I do like those two guys are gonna make it sound like fracturous a bit so he's trying uh sometimes he'll do something more melodic we have a song uh, a new song that's not on L'Appel du Ville. It's a new one that's going to be on the next one, and um, which is called Dissolve. And it has like this super down tune intro. It, like that feels deathcore. And then we switch to a 280 BPM blast beats right away. And then we get like the catchiest, the catchiest metal chorus you'll ever hear. And then we go back to that blast beat. And then, you know what I mean? Like, just like it's, there's no, I like to do everything. If it feels good and it's heavy and it's catchy, like I'm, I'm a big believer of the first impression, even though my guitar player, it drives him nuts sometimes because he wants to modify the song. No, don't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why it works, though, because he's a perfectionist that wants to rework. I'm the guy who believes in the first draft, so the middle makes it good. Like the compromise, I think that's because we make that compromise, both yeah. of us, the middle line that we find, that's why it, it's good. We're like a battery, me and him, like positive, negative, you know, but we make energy together. Do you think that, like, because you guys are sorry, did you guys know each other before forming the band and for how long? And do you think that's kind of one of the reasons that you guys communicate and compromise so well? Uh, what okay, so story real quick is me and Alexi, the drummer, we used to be in mm -hmm. Dark Century, which is a band in Montreal. And I joined that to two thousand at uh two thousand sixteen. Uh played with them. Uh we made an album that I recorded with Chris Donaldson. And then we lost a guitar player on the way. So we needed a, a second guitar player. And a friend of mine, this guy, Greg, Greg was just coming in Montreal like for a couple months with his girlfriend. They, they moved to Montreal. They're from Vancouver. And um, he, we have friends in common. He was like, oh, I'm looking for a band. I'm in Montreal now, play guitar, whatever. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Dark Century is looking for a band. And what actually happened when Greg auditioned, I wasn't there. 
because I was working this job at this time and was doing overtime. Like, so I missed both of his auditions and they got him. So I, I met Greg after he got in the band. Like, I was like, I, all right, okay, if you guys like him, you should, should be fine, I guess, like, whatever. So got to meet him. And then fast forward a year later, the other guitar player, Martin, uh, started another side project which was a side project at the beginning which is a hardcore mm -hmm. band called scarfold from montreal and uh they got signed to this label in europe and then they got asked to tour and he plays drums in this he's a guitar player but he plays drums in, in scarfold and uh okay so basically they got booked like two european tour a bunch of shows and then it became clear that he had like he didn't have the time for the band anymore because the other band was like exploding mm -hmm. so and in the meantime greg has started to write some riffs that he sent me like some riff that he you know recorded that did a little drum uh, drum beat on the computer and then sent me like a couple and i was loving those i was so in love like the first two things he sent me was I think the first song that was done was L'Appel du Vide, which was done. But I think the first riff, the first thing he sent me, if I'm not mistaken, is the first two riffs from Crisis, the opener on the EP. Okay. And I just went like like super fast blast beat to this super groovy, heavy thing. I'm like, dude, this shit's awesome. And we tried to bring it to the band but it wasn't the same style and then i was seeing that martin was just like getting too busy with the other band so like at one point uh, i had a talk with martin and i told him basically dude you don't have time for this put the band on hiatus get your shot with the hardcore band tour to europe it's gonna be amazing you're gonna have a blast like take it while it's there so he said yeah yeah, yeah. then this is like me and me and greg and Alexi, he has some riff. We're going to work those out, make some song. We'll see where it goes. So we passed the whole year writing L'Appel du Vide. The whole 2019. So, we, so that whole year, we're coming to practice, building the songs, finding our style, you know, learning to write amongst ourselves, learning about each other more, you know. Because... Uh, when Greg came in Dark Century, like everything was recorded, everything was ready. I think he did the little solo on the album and that's it that we kept for him. So he had this little something on the album, but like everything was done when he came in. So like, yeah, I was learning to work with him basically. And from there, uh, we I booked the studio with Chris Donaldson, which is a friend of mine too, worked with him for years and everything so i told the guys you know what like it was summer like i i'm booking like studio for january so january whatever we got we're going to the studio we're recording it so we got to the studio by january we didn't have our band name yet we went in recorded the five songs my drummer went in guitar and then he did the bass also because we have no bass player then and then I did the vocals in a couple sessions during February and I was done. And a week after it was done, 
pandemic arrived, lockdown all over the world, and we're stuck with this super expensive demo that we just paid for. <laughs> and we're like, uh, what? Okay. Like, like everybody, like at the beginning was just like, okay, we'll wait. Maybe it's going to pass fast. Oh no. Oh yeah. They're opening. Oh no. Like, and you, <laughs> two years later, <laughs> and that's the thing because you can't release it. You know, if you're a band that already has this following, you already have like two albums out or something, or, if you get something out, you can at least, you know, get the album out, uh, do some promotion. You can't do shows, but you can do music videos. You can do interviews. You can do podcasts. You can do like there's stuff you can still do to at least give your fans something while this passes over. If you're a new band, <laughs> what are you going to do? Like release something out of nowhere with zero social media followers and like it's so we waited. That's basically what we did. We waited. And all to come back to last summer. And then, you know, I would, like we're hoping everything was about to open in the fall. It's, it wasn't clear. But anyway, so I just went, you know what? Like we wanted to film a music video anyway to release this. Mm -hmm. So we might as well film it now. And at least the music video is ready. We had found our band name. I had made the logo. Uh, I had the logo made and everything. We had the cover. So, like, at least everything is ready. And then by, I don't know, end of September or October, we filmed the music video in September. So, by the end of the month, beginning of October, I was just like, oh, man. Like, and then they were starting to book some shows, even though it was seated with masks, but like the shows were getting sold out. So I'm like, people wants to see stuff. And then I turned around and I told my guys, you know what? Come November 5th at midnight, I'm putting the whole shit online. The music video, the EP on spot, the whole thing. I'm going to throw everything outside uh, uh, online. We're going to build from that. And we'll, we'll see what we get. Because, like, we can't wait anymore. Because now we're, like, we almost have the same amount of new songs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? So we're releasing this. And it's cool because we get, like, great feedback. But at the same time, that's us from two years ago. Like, when we get our new album out that we're recording this summer... People are going to be like, wait, is there something missing between? Like, it's going to feel like there's an album between the two you haven't listened to almost. Because, like, it's a. Is that, it's a. Is that just because your, like, sound has uh, evolved that much over that amount of time? Yeah, because. Because basically, we did L'Appel, it's five songs. And after that, like, after recording this, it gave us, like, new ideas, new, like, momentum like for writing and we wrote a little but everything was shutting down we couldn't even go to the jam space you know it was closed so uh we did some writing and then we released it last november i booked two shows uh i i, I booked two shows it was like I, actually i tried to book five and two worked <laughs> and and uh we did those two shows. They went crazy, like amazing because we came in on stage 
and people are like who is those like new band nobody heard of anything and then we play like furiously man because you know like it's all this experience but like you don't know <laughs> and it just explodes so everybody was like so happy to see shows again finally and then we show up like who was those guys man wow so like oh and it gave another momentum and greg went crazy and during christmas time he wrote like three new songs and i was just like oh like <laughs> i'm like to be honest the songs were so good okay i told them legit there is no way i'm gonna take care of promotion for that caliber of music by myself anymore like we're gonna need a manager an agent a label we're gonna need something because those songs are too good and i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to sound like i'm uh full of myself because like those songs are good because it's my guitar player you know like my like uh, i wrote the lyrics but like i haven't recorded anything so like so far i could i could mess it up and be a chris barnes and it might kick me out or, or something you know but <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, <laughs> but what I mean is when I heard like the music, I was just like, bro, you're insane. And he sends me like those two new tracks that are like super fast and technical and crazy good, like riffing and songwriting. I was just like, and then he sent me another one, which is the, one of the catchiest song you could ever like what's that decap it's 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 catchy like spheres of madness level catchy just like this beat it's like three four riffs super simple you just like at the first note you, it's like i'm sure like next year i could put that online and have people do like a headbang like not don't headbang challenge and just start my song and see them like cranking their neck oh my god i can't resist <laughs> it's, i dude i was just like i'm like okay man we need a label because those songs are too good there's no way i'm gonna do just the oh we're a cool local band like i'm at least i have to make some people know that hey we exist you know <laughs> yeah well, and I mean, like as a new band, like you said earlier, nobody's going to know who you are, but all of you guys have been in previous bands before. And especially with Neuraxis, like your name carries some weight. Yeah, but I don't use it at all. Like at but all. People, people do look into it, of course, and they, they know kind of what to expect when they hear your vocals are on a new record. They know kind of the sound, the style, and that's part of what they gravitate towards. Yeah, and, and that we're also like a Quebec band. So I guess like mm -hmm. it has that reputation. I, I saw some like reviews for the EP and especially one of them, the guys who did the, the, the Philip and this other guy uh, from whisper from the void, they have a podcast and, but they do like album reviews for Vox and ops. Okay. And, uh, when they reviewed our EP, the, both of them were like, this is so Quebec metal. He was like, this is so Quebec metal, but like the, it's like, he was saying something like it's, it feels like, okay, that's the new Quebec metal. That's where, if you've been following Quebec metal, it's kind of where it is now. This is one of, where it is now, Fracturous is one example. Like, it's just like, it's catchy, it's technical, but not too much. 
It's melodic sometimes, but not too much. They do breakdown, but they're not really that core. Uh, but uh, they have uh, 280 BPM blast beats. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. And Alex is sweating in front of those guys. You know? So, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. So, I guess that's, I don't know. It's just it's just weird. Uh, like, after two years to get some feedback. Mm-hmm. Especially when you were sitting on it for so long and now you finally let it release. You have an influx of, like you said, like um, reviews. Um, yeah. You have the new shows coming. So it's all at one time instead of spread out over the past couple yeah, of years. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then that's, that's also the thing. Like, even when the, the thing came out, like I had some guys from other bands, friends of mine that are in other bands around Montreal and Quebec, and they, they, like, they texted me and everybody was just like, Oh my God, this is the most you band you've ever had. Like, it's the most, it's just like, it's like they were telling me, it feels like all songs have been written for you to sing on. It's like, it feels like the guy's like, okay, I'm going to write some good songs for Alex to sing on. That's basically it. it. It just sounds like that. It's just like that music is so adjusted for your style and vice versa. I'm like, okay, I guess we're, I guess, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, feedback is so great. Because <laughs> you don't know, like, like we know what we're doing and like we have ex- some experience, we know what we're doing, but like still I'm confident enough, but there's a point where you don't know, like you don't know what people might think, you know? Well, and it's hard to be part of something that you figure jives so much with your own personality and to have that feeling between all members mm-hmm. is incredible and that's the thing too because like over the last two three years mm-hmm. we've learned to work with each other so much that now we're like such a, a a solid unit that like uh that's why we decided like the first two shows we did without a bass player because like we were such a solid unit we wrote the whole thing together and everything like it 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 felt right to do like the first show just the three of us we used the uh, the base and sequence uh um you know but um yeah so we did like uh, the first two shows as a power trio so imagine like you're going to a show there's an opener that you don't know you haven't seen a show in two years okay and then you just go on stage it's the first band of the night and then your ears are like tack 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 and then crisis starts and i'm headbanging like i'm with windmill like a, a like insane person on stage like ah, just like oh my god who the hell are those guys that's exactly every show we did that's kind of the effect we we did so far so i'm just like okay cool it, it's working <laughs> i like I was pretty sure it was working, but now I'm now I know it's working. I'm like, okay, okay, we've got it. We've got something here. It's working. Let's continue our path, you know? That's 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 just well, how I feel. One thing that I noticed, um, and I've only seen you play live once, and that was just after the re- release of a Cylon yeah. um in Calgary. And I think if I remember correctly, you were playing with uh Sepultura and Yeah, yeah, Pete. yeah. Um anyway, Crazy so like tour. that that show every single band had such incredible energy and showmanship i was blown away and then 
because I was so drunk after the show, I ended up trying to walk home and I got completely lost. But anyways, that's for another time. <laughs> Dude, that was the Calgary show. Wait, where was that Calgary show? It, you know what? Okay. I, it was on the university. I think it was um, McEwen Hall. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But when I played with Cannibal Corpse and The Faceless, that was at the university also. Yeah, they have um, like an upper and lower um, area. Oh, so yeah, you might have yeah, been, yeah. if it was with Cannibal Corpse, you may have been in the basement that looks more like a, I know, the, more like a, there was a thousand, more like a concert. There was venue. a thousand yeah. people there. It was insane. It nice. was insane. Both shows were insane. Uh, insane. All my Calgary shows were good, basically, <laughs> since my very first one to all of them. Like, yeah, yeah. Calgary was always a blast. Always. Calgary and Minton, always, always. I'm happy to hear that. What was a star? A star what's that place in Calgary? Uh, and Edmonton, the, the star. Edmonton's a starlight star room. room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that place is insane. Insane. <laughs> I I'm so glad that place is still open and same. And I know the venue's not the greatest here necessarily because it's it's a smaller pub, but Dickens. Um, it's a great place for metal, but I'm so glad that those two places survived because they're independent, they're Canadian, and they host wicked metal shows. Wait, did I play there? Maybe. Um, it's possible. Like you have to go downstairs, and it's just it seems like a little pub, but it's uh it's got a lot of room. And I didn't realize that until recently when I went back. Oh man, I played I played like over five hundred shows with Naraxis. So sometimes it gets Jesus. a bit blurry. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I think the year in Naraxis I did the most show was like 140, 130, 140, like around that. I'm not sure, but it was around like, it was over 125 for sure. Like the biggest year I've done of shows with Naraxis. And then you're also juggling time with like, uh, like time for yourself, but also travel and set up, take down, and then obviously the shows themselves. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I was. So with that tour, like how, where did you go? Uh, which tour? Uh, the one that you played like 140 shows. It was, it was a couple tour that I think, I think that's probably the year, the year after the Thin Line Between released. Cause we did the Canadian Summer Slaughter, which was in August. And then our van died on the, first show so we did the whole tour in a car it was awful but the shows yeah, were the that best. would be awful that it was awful and we were all tired and nobody was getting showers and sleep it was horrible we're all packed in a car fucking sorry for language but um necrophagus was carrying our equipment and uh who was that? I was in the um, Whitechapel was on this. That wasn't Dying Fittis. That was uh Wait. Wait. Anyway, so our our equipment and merch were spreaded to other bands trailers during the tour. And we we packed everything we can in in the car and then we're driving and every ride because a Canadian tour is always like you drive at least eight hours. 
So yep. it was like long rides. We arrived. Everything were everybody were looking at us getting out of their car. Like, Jesus, those guys are not gonna make it. And then we would get on stage, and every shows were like sold out, and people were screaming because, like, we're on the Canadian Summer Slaughter, and we're a Canadian yeah. band, and we just signed to Prosthetics. So, like, we felt like the whole—I felt probably like Conor McGregor when he was fighting, you know, like my whole country was just like—it just felt like people were like so proud. Do you know what I mean? Like, so proud. Oh, totally. my God. Like, uh, Naraxis made it. They're the shit, you know? Like, oh, my God, they made it. I remember the Vancouver, Calgary. Like, every show was just, like, insane. So, it was, like, super pain. And then we got on stage, and everybody would blow us away. And then we got out of stage with a smile, forgetting what happened during the day. And then the next day, you start over. <laughs> and I remember we finished that tour in Vancouver. And we had to drive because, like, five days later, we had, like, our launch show with Despised Icon and Covetis, uh in Montreal. So we had to drive back. So we drive, like, three days straight from, from Vancouver to Montreal in that car. And we, we had a flat. And then we hit a deer in Ontario. <laughs> and, dude, it's insane all to get to that crazy show i remember like the night before the show i was so tired i slept for like 12 hours straight and i'm a super light sleeper like i when i sleep six hours in a night i'm good to go and do whatever you know and i <laughs> was so tired i was losing my voice not because of i did like 10 12 shows in a row it's just like i was so tired so tired anyway so we did that we came back. We had a month off. We had to buy a new van and a trailer. Uh, we couldn't buy the trailer yet. So we just bought the new van. And then we got on the Faceless Duality Tour, which mm -hmm. had uh, Abigail Williams and Decrepit Birth and Veil of Maya. So we get on that tour. Crazy tour. Uh, so we get on the tour. It was like 36... I don't know, we we're gone for like 45 days, almost 50. Because I remember we had a, our bass player couldn't make it to the tour because of work. So we had this guy from uh, Josh from Boston uh, who plays in the, wow, I can't remember any band names tonight. He plays in that metal, they just, they broke up last year, but like, oh man. Anyway, you br it's, they're signed on Metal Blade. Wait. I'm just getting mad because I forget bad things right now. <laughs> uh, let me. Wow. Okay, never mind. I'll I'll catch it back later. <laughs> okay, so we get on that tour. This guy was in Boston. We drive there. Mm -hmm. We jam with him like two, three times because uh, he had another band, so he had another space. And then we drove to California to start that tour. Like we drove to California three days straight. We arrive on the morning at Prosthetic Records office. We're fucking dirty. 
<laughs> smelly everybody's grumpy we meet our new boss <laughs> that was crazy and then we did that tour we finished it at the end of november and then at the end of january we got into the montreal massacre uh what do they call that montreal massacre tour or uh it was for the live album for the spice icon okay uh, so we get on that tour. We did that tour. Uh, it was a more deadcore tour. So a lot of people were looking at us funny, but uh, they still respected us because we're from the same place as the spies. So everybody was like, yeah, you guys are cool. And then, and then <laughs> after we came back to Montreal, we had like four day, four, uh, a month off. And then we opt on the Cannibal Corpse tour. So that was like, so it's like one, two, three, four tours that in, in the span of a year. And then when we came back from Cannibal, we had a couple of shows like in Ontario and in Quebec. So like it was just like 10 plus like 35 plus like another 32 plus the Cannibal Corpse was like 20 something. So and other local shows in between. So in the span of a year, I made like 120, 130 shows or something. That was pretty crazy. That, that's incredible yeah. do you think playing with so many other big names over the years kind of feeds into your energy and determination to kind of overcome the bullshit when it comes to travel and you know being tired and uh <laughs> i feel i feel okay so that those are two questions <laughs> first i'll say that playing with bigger bands is humbling but it boosts your ego at the same time. Not because I'm playing with Cannibal Corpse. Look at me. haha. <laughs> Not in that sense. More in the sense that you realize, because like I've been listening to Cannibal Corpse since I was a child, you know, <laughs> like since it's, it's my teens, you know. And mm -hmm. basically, when I met those guys, I realized that's where you realize that they're just some other guys. Especially uh, Cannibal Corpse, the guys are so sweet, by the way. They're, like, so nice. All of them. All of them so nice. And, but you realize that, hey, the, the, they're the same guys as you. It's just they've been doing a bit longer, and they got a break somewhere. Yeah. So, and they're the example of, oh, keep at it, keep working. Because Cannibal Corpse is, the, is legit the best death metal band of all time. I'm going to say it and tell me whatever you want, but like they have like what? 15 albums. One comes out every two years. They're steady. They're steady in their touring. They're steady in their songwriting. They're steady in their quality. And those guys, George is the youngest guy. And when I toured with him 11 years ago, he was 41. So he's like 52. He's the youngest guy in the band. And he still destroy 20 song sets every night. Yeah. Yeah, you have to take a look at more than just um, what kind of music they're putting yeah. out. It's it's not for everybody. But you look at their consistency. You look at their longevity over years, like you Unbeatable. said. And then, and how, and how so many people try to, uh, are they, they're influenced by Cannibal Corpse. Or they try to emulate them in some way. Yeah. It's incredible. But because if you look at all the, like the big 90s band, that metal band, you know, when the, the movement really started and everything, 
everybody went out and back and off and back off. You know, like suffocation stopped for a while, came back. D side was on and off sometimes. Uh, Morbid Angel, uh, Obituary, like all those bad car casts, like they were years without playing and then they come back. And I remember like back in the days, George was like, he was making a thing that he was only charging, he can like, it was top, they were charging five grand to come and play your city. Like 10 years ago, maybe it's more now, mm -hmm. but I'm talking back when they did Evisceration Plague, which was huge and Kill Before was huge. It was, like they, they went, they exploded around that time exploded they were already big but those two albums they got to another level like popularity wise i feel like they got even bigger and uh so i was touring when i toured with him it was during that you know and they were like mm -hmm. i felt like they were like i don't want to see a peak because they're still as good <laughs> that's the thing you say oh they peak no they did not because you listen to the last album yeah they're still they, they're still strong they're still going you know what i mean But I feel like it's, I don't know, like seeing those bands, seeing, um, for me, like the Cannibal Corpse guys were the example to follow, straight up. Like when I look at them, Alex and George and even Rob sometimes would stay in front of their tour bus till 2 a.m. to chat and sign stuff and say thank you and take pictures, selfies. Like he would do that all the time. And then I toured with some other bands and which i'm not gonna name but uh like the singer would be uh it was the same for his for the, his actual show it's just like if he was in a good mood he'll say hi and he'll play a good show and if he's in a bad mood or hangover or just not into it well he doesn't care about you he doesn't care about anybody he doesn't even care about his performance you know yeah I think it, it also it lends to their success when when you have um, when you have the members of the band like in the crowd when they're signing uh, autographs when they're thanking yeah. people when they're humbled um, it definitely shows in in their music too like there's the music side of things but then there's also I don't want to say publicity but I guess that's a good starting point yeah. um, you have to create that relationship with your fans and like you said earlier the Cannibal Corpse guys are great I met them once and it, it I didn't feel for long enough because we weren't able to chat too long yeah. but it was really cool and like you said they're just normal regular guys yeah. and you, the thing with Cannibal Corpse okay we went on Cannibal Corpse but like the thing about <laughs> Cannibal Corpse also is they have this feeling that if you see I think it's the kind of the same feeling with Slayer when they used to do tours in the sense that If you see a Cannibal Corpse show once, you're gonna you're you're not forced, but like there's something in you that feels like you can't miss another Cannibal Corpse show if they come to your town. Like ah, I can't. oh, it's the energy. Yeah, it's like ah, oh, Cannibal, like because you, it feels like you're part of this gang now. You're part of this family. So like, if they're coming to your town, like I gotta go, even though like uh, I'm busy, uh, fuck it, I'm still going because it's Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> I can't miss Cannibal Corpse. It's always they always do a good show. That's the thing. Totally, and like you said, they keep stepping it up, and whether it be with their music or their performance. Um, It's all like I've only seen them a few times live, but every time it's incredible. Yeah. I think what, but that's why you get repeat watchers. Like 
you have them going to that show just because of of the success of the band like they're they're hungry to see them live yeah and also like they deliver i feel like they deliver a standard of quality that is constant it's the constants of that band like they're good like yeah they're good they have all the yeah they all have the qualities of a good band but like their constants through the years is what makes cannibal corpse because like cannibal you know something somebody said not long ago and the drummer was responding to it that somebody said like uh, cannibal corpse like the acdc of death metal or something like you know what i mean <laughs> but um and the drummer was like dude that's a great compliment because yeah. like you can't go wrong yeah. with that there's they, they're doing something right yeah because acdc you pick up like any of their album and you put that in your car and it's gonna rock you know there's a a, a standard quality that oh if it's an acdc song it's gonna rock there's not gonna be yeah there's some that are better than other and they have better albums mm -hmm. than other like every band but i mean there's this standard of it's you know quality of oh yeah you buy a cannibal corpse record you're gonna get a bloody cover you're gonna get the growls you're gonna get the blast beat and the crazy riffs and the bass and it's always there they're not gonna change their sound they're not gonna change their lyrics they're not gonna do clean singing they're not gonna do any of that even though like i was i was they have um rootin in the band now okay and they're not even having him do back vocals because they're afraid it would change the sound of the band a little and people maybe people wouldn't like that you know i'm sure that's why yeah, it's definitely not that they're they're not afraid of experimentation but they're not going to drastically change their sound or surprise anybody yeah and i think that's part of the reason people are yeah. drawn that's the respect that's a respect that's that's a band that respects what they've been built on do you know what i mean and yeah. you know, like people come for this we're gonna give him that you know because that's what they want you know so i don't know major respect for cannibal corpse like major respect for cannibal corpse so anyway there's so to, to come back to your question because <laughs> now it's, it's, it's <laughs> I, that podcast is going to be about cannibal corpse we're going to talk an hour about them but what i mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah and george is a good friend i love him anyway what i mean by that is when I toured with them, I toured with a lot of big bands, uh, a lot, well, some of them. And touring with Cannibal Corpse has always been my, that's the standard. That's how you do it. That's how, I'm not talking, musically doesn't care. You do your own thing. But like the way they treat their fans, the way they treat their music and they treat the band as a, not only a business but as a progression as a family to like it's the example to follow for me the example to follow and they still sell out their shows and everything they still sell their album like everything is great so what would you say then um touring with them like obviously when you're touring with these guys you're watching what they do you're seeing how they interact with their fans what are some of the most important things that you took away from cannibal corpse and other big names uh while you were touring with them uh i would say it's their attitude straight up because because like 
whatever. I don't want to sound whatever, but like I've been doing theater school and I did wrestling for years and I've been into mm -hmm. other bands. So like when I go on stage, I'm not scared that there's a thousand people or 100 people. Like it doesn't, it, there's no difference for me. Like I'm never nervous because of the people. I'm, if I get nervous, I'm getting nervous because I want to perform as intense as I can. And I would be like, is my voice, uh, is my voice okay? Is my name, did I, uh, is my neck okay? Where's my bottle of water? Where's the, the, that's my stress. I'm never stressed to get in front of people. Like I'm, it's, it's, to, to, to do something in front of people, I feel like it's a natural thing for me. So when I was getting, here's one thing that's funny though. Because like, I used, because I always wet my hair before I go on stage. Because I'm a curly mm -hmm. guy, and if I don't, it gets in my nose and throat, okay? <laughs> and it sticks to my face. So that's why when I go on stage, I'm not trying to be cool. It's just a performance thing, and my my hair needs to be wet. Exactly like some wrestler, they put, like, conditioner in their hair so it stays yeah. wet and it, it doesn't stick to their face. It doesn't get, like, all uh, afro-like or whatever, especially if you're curly. Anyway... So I used to do that for years, and a lot of people were saying, like, oh, look at the show-off. He wants to get on stage all wet and everything. And I'm like, I don't care what they say because it's a performance thing. And I get on, mm -hmm. on, on tour with Cannibal Corpse. And on the first night, what do I see? George bent over with his hair in front of him, like spitting like two huge bottles of water into his hair. I'm like, oh, you put water in your hair. He turns around like, of course, man. I would swallow them. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, so the next person's telling him, telling me, I'm, oh, uh, you wet your hair? I'm gonna tell him, yeah, George from Cannibal told me to do this. Like, fuck off. <laughs> That seems like such a weird thing to pick on. Like, I don't think I would ever notice if somebody's hair is wet. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. know. I've never it's just playing local shows, and you know, when you play yeah. local, uh, people know you more so they look they're more like i picky mm. and then and, 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 and look at alex like look at that wrestler dude when is there all with <laughs> this is not a wrestling match man <laughs> whatever were you wrestling before uh yeah. playing in their axis yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so you did that for quite some time then yeah uh, i think during when i was playing with their axis is probably the time when i wrestled less because mm -hmm. i was always a lot of tour a lot of shows But uh, yeah, yeah, I was wrestling before, so I always had that thing where I looked like a wrestler on stage and I looked like a metal head in the ring. It was just that was just <laughs> my thing, because like people, that's yeah. what look at Alex. He looks ah, oh, you're that. Look at that wrestler, dude. He looks so much <laughs> like a wrestler, dude. That's a show, not a wrestling match. People would make joke, like friendly jokes, but you know, like people would make jokes and. What people didn't know is like I would go to my wrestling matches and people were like, dude, you look like such a metal head. Like everything I, you know, so I became, I guess I was an hybrid, <laughs> basically. It's only because you belong to both. If you only belong to one, there would have been no issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like it became, at the beginning, yeah, I had a metal song and everything, but I was not trying to look necessarily like a metal guy in wrestling. Mm -hmm. 
But like after a while, it became known that because it became known that I was in bands also, you know, so like everybody mm -hmm. knew even the fans in wrestling and even the fans in metal knew what I was doing wrestling. So at, at one point, like people knew. And then when I started my tag team, uh, uh, my tag team uh, with my partner, we, we named it Heavy Metal Chaos which was HMC, you know, because it sounds good. You have a three-letter thing in wrestling, HMC, HMC, yeah. HMC, you know. And uh, or people were screaming heavy metal while we were wrestling. It was pretty awesome. So by then, like, I was all, like, I, I was completely into it. Like, in the sense, like, the only difference between seeing me on stage and in the ring was basically just... uh Like I was wearing like dicky short instead of my spandex and boots and knee pads, you know. But I, like I, yeah. I became like I, I submitted to that idea that I was just one person doing those both things, and it just I just went with it, you know. So I would go in the ring and get in the corner, and if there was a metal fan, I would point him and headbang for a second, and. If I would do a show and I had some fans from wrestling there, I would like do a pause or something. You know, I like to, you know, I like to, because that's another thing. And I think I I also learned that from wrestling is just like mm -hmm. I'm like I I'm very intense on stage and I look very angry sometimes. So my thing is between songs, I had to I have to become the least serious person ever so they realize it's just like so i want and i was the same in wrestling so my thing was always to it's the same feeling when kids are in front of the hulk okay the hulk is huge he's terrifying he's angry but you know he's a good guy he's on your side so that's why For example, in wrestling, when I had like kids taking pictures with me, I was making them do angry faces. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I was looking at the kids. Okay. When I say go, everybody goes with that mean face. And we all scream together. One, two, three, go. And all those kids taking pictures with me were like doing their angry face. So the pictures... So when I was getting angry on stage, kids weren't scared. They were like, oh, yeah, get angry, man. Like, get him, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, it's kind of the same thing. I was trying a bit to do uh, when I do music because like, I'm so focused and intense when I play that in between songs, I always try to do some uh, cheesy stuff. Like I played some shows with a, a band here called uh, um, Necrosphere. Like they broke up, but... uh they did an album and they they had a um, session singer so i did a couple of shows with them and my thing when i started doing this i'm gonna change my <laughs> i did that to myself basically like a challenge my challenge mm -hmm. was to sing uh with a mic stand that's where i started using the mic stand that you see in the music video for fracturous so okay. it was i'm using a mic stand now And I'm going to pull off one Freddie Mercury move in every show I do. So it was the fist in the air or something else. <laughs> just, <laughs> just to challenge myself. I would do that in the middle of a song. Nobody would, except people I would tell. 
hey, watching my show, I'm going to do a Freddie Mercury. Like, Shut up. And I would be like, turn around with the fist in the air, like Wembley Stadium. It's like a, <laughs> an Easter egg homage to uh, musicians. Of yeah, 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 yeah. And now my new thing is I'm into anime now. And one of my favorite shows is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So now I, yeah. I do like some JoJo stuff on stage or I'll turn around <laughs> and I'll say something in Japanese. Shinejotaro! <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Just, you know, trying to... <laughs> I'm trying to be take this as seriously as I can and not take it, it seriously as much as I can. You know what I mean? There's things like, you know. You touched on earlier that like with Cannibal Corpse, they they take themselves seriously when they're performing. And I think just judging by what you're saying to me today, you take yourself incredibly serious in the in the performance aspect, but you like to have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I was always sick. My drummer says I always talk a bit too much in between songs. Even though last show, uh, I needed to take a breath. <laughs> last show, he's just like, dude, because we had a meeting after a live show. My drummer is like, yeah, what's your video? Alex, like, you talked a bit too much between songs. No, no, that's me. I just restarted gym. I need a bit more time. I still need to catch my breath. <laughs> he was like, "That's me stalling." Oh, that was me stalling a bit. He's just like, "Oh, oh, it it won't be like that every time." <laughs> He's like, "Okay, okay, not getting any younger." Well, shit, and you guys didn't play for so long either. Yeah, right? like two years. Yeah, more than and that. I'm 43 now. Like, I'm still in good shape, but like, I'm 43. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not 25. Well, and not only that but i mean music is a whole lot different than wrestling so you're going to be using your vocal cords a whole lot more and jumping around on stage yeah because the thing is um when you wrestle like most of my matches were 10 minutes or under okay because like mm -hmm. wrestling is pretty quick so it's a uh, 10 minute but like in that 10 minute they're stop and go cardio and you have to work your crowd yep. and uh, remember everything that you're supposed to do uh, take care of your opponents when you do like you're power bombing him you just don't want to drop him on his neck you know so you have to stay mm -hmm. focused and be able to improvise and everything and it's like a very intense and you take damage too even though you train and you're used to it and it doesn't mm -hmm. like if I get like, uh, I don't know, like a, I get like a chop, you know, like a normal person doesn't get chop usually. It's going to hurt them for like 10, like for five minutes, like, oh my God, it burns. For me, I was just like, I like when I was wrestling so much, I was telling the other guy, chop me while I tell you what we do next. So I was like, the guy would chop me and I would, ah. And I'd put my, my hair in my face and say, again, again, like I was calling them. I was telling him, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's a difference. It's a different thing. And I think that's why, even though I was, I was a heavyweight in wrestling, I was always known for like the, the, the heavyweight with the most cardio. Like when I was hmm. wrestling in Quebec and everything, like everybody is just like, because everybody was like, oh, Alex, it's going to hit hard. It's just like, and people would wrestle me and they say, no, like it looks like he's destroying you, but like he's actually like doing it like super clean. So nothing like hurts or anything. Everything is legit, but you're going to get blown off. 
You're going to be like, uh, uh, if you stay in the ring with me for like 10 minutes, you're going to pump your lungs. <laughs> that was my thing as a heavyweight. I had the heavyweight. I was the cardio machine heavyweight. Like 20 minutes into the match and I would come back and it's like it started for me, you know. I was always like this. But I think that's because I was used to do those like super intense cardio 10 minutes on stage. Last tours we did with Neuraxis, we would play... We were playing seven songs in 30 minutes. Like every night. Mm -hmm. And like, that's where like, because normally like a 30 minutes, it's more like six songs. And then we cramp like seven. Like it was always like two songs in a row, like stick together, like almost all the time. Like you went in a row in a row. Then we would play shows. And when people were calling for a wall of debt, like before the last two songs, I would be like, mm -hmm. You guys have 10 seconds to get ready for that wall of debt because I'm not cutting any songs. Come on, split. <laughs> so I'll say, like, split, hurry up. Okay, you guys ready? And then we would do it, but like it was always like yeah. more, 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 more. That's my next step with Fracturous. We're gonna, I'm gonna find that seventh song so I can't even speak in between songs. <laughs> 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 well i'm gonna need more cardio but that's fine i can i can always train <laughs> so you were talking about um when you were in the ring with other guys and kind of play by play uh telling each other what to do and stuff like how scripted is it uh like i understand yeah, that yeah, the yeah. whole overall like arching overarching story is kind of scripted to a point but i don't know exactly when that ends and kind of when the um where your creative freedom comes through okay yeah so um most of the time most of the time the booker which is the scripter in wwe there's more there's a team of scripter there's like two bookers agents because it's a bigger thing but normally like in the indie federation more local federation you have one booker okay and this guy mm -hmm. books the matches you know It's going to be like the opener is going to be him versus him and him and then and he decides who wins. And the thing is, sometimes he's not necessarily deciding who win because uh, he's better or not. Or sometimes it. It's let's say, for example, OK, you're the good guy. I'm the bad guy. OK, we have a match. All right. You. Are super popular. All right. And. You're in the upper echelon of those matches. You're not quite in the championship level, but you're getting close, you know? Like, you're popular and everything. Me? But, wait. Click, okay. So, and me, uh, so I'm the bad guy. But me, the champion right now is a good guy. So, you're not going to face him. Because it's going to be good guy versus good guy. And it rarely mm. works. It works if you build it for years and you have like a macho man and a Hulk Hogan like Stone Cold and, and The Rock or something. Because those are legendary, you know. But like normally you don't book that. You book the classic bad guy versus good guy, baby face versus heel. So mm -hmm. let's say you and me. We want we both won our last three matches. So we're coming in our matches once against the other with momentum. Oh my god. Yeah, he won against this is this. Oh yeah, but like nah, Alex, he won against this is this. Oh, it's gonna be a crazy match. So we do this match, 
And so the booker will come to us and say, okay, Alex needs to win because I want him to go versus the champion, okay? But I don't want to mm. get the value off my baby face. So, Alex, you need to cheat to win. Oh, okay. So if you That's cheat, okay, it doesn't get value off of you because you got cheated. So so people are even more behind you now. Oh, man, that wasn't mm-hmm. fair. He needed to win. The guy cheated. The referee didn't see anything. You know, that's exactly what people are going to feel on one side. And on the other side, me, even though I cheated, I still get the win. So, well, and you're the villain, so that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, 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 true. And also that. So when I go against the champion, oh, I just mm-hmm. beat that guy. Oh, but you cheated. I still won. I'm the guy. Now the champion is next. And now people are getting scared. Oh, my God, is he going to cheat and get the championship? Suspense, mm-hmm. mystery, yeah. And then you got a match. You got some hype. You got promotion. So... The booker has to think about all those things and also makes a balance in his card. So let's say the next big show I face, I'm the big bad guy, bad guy Alex. I'm going to call myself bad guy Alex. So bad guy Alex faces Blondie six-pack champion, right? <laughs> okay. I'm the mm-hmm. extremes, you know? So I'm going in that match. If... I end up cheating and getting the championship. The show is going to end with a boo, right? So the booker will probably have more good guys win the other matches in the card. It's going to be like a two-third, one-third kind of thing. So people are going to be yay all night, and we're going to crush them at the end. Or you do the opposite. You have some bad guys win maybe a little bit more during the night, and then at the end, the champion retains. Or if you do the opposite, the, the, the challenger is a good guy. He's facing the villains. Who is the champion? The, ch- the villain tries to cheat, but like the, the, the baby face goes over and he still wins. Oh, my God. And then we end the show on a party, you know. But if you have yep. every baby face winning during the night, your victory at the end doesn't have the same boom impact in the crowd. So you have to think about that. Mm-hmm. And you have to think about the equilibrium of the length of your match. So basically, when I got a booking, they're going to tell me a basic if there's a story to be told mm-hmm. and how they want him to finish the match because of the overall car, the overall show, where the characters are going, the next champions and next championship matches and everything. So you have this on the side. And that's and a time. You guys have 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 8 minutes, whatever. So it's us to figure out, okay, so basically when I was building matches, uh, um, I learned that from um, a friend of mine. He's wrestling in, uh, in uh, AEW now. Anyway, so what he was doing, I, I did a two, three matches with him. And what he was doing, which I thought he was building like the match in reverse. Mm-hmm. So, like, the booker wants us to finish the match in a certain way. So, he would start by the end and build towards the beginning in a way. And what I found, like, was really cool about that is because a story, it's like on TV, 
It's like in movies, it's like in everything. A story is always better and always good when you know how it's going to end. Do you know what I mean? That's the difference between Game of Thrones and Attack on Titan, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Because basically there was like, eh, we don't really know at the end and they tried something because it wasn't predetermined before. Attack on Titan, the guy who wrote that knew exactly how it was going to end. So everything is perfect on this way there because you're driving in that direction. You're not like, oh, we do, you know? So it's the same thing with a wrestling match. And if you know it's going to end and you build the last, what I call the last big part of the match with all the big actions always happen. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like the comeback of the baby face and turnover. Ooh, and it almost uh, one, two. Oh, it was almost three. That's all like in the last quarter of the match. So you build that. And then before, if you're experienced wrestlers, you barely have to plan anything because you know where it's going to end. So there's not a million ways to say, oh, if you have a special idea to start that match, cool. Tell me. We'll try that. But normally a match... They go around the ring, they clinch, they try for a headlock, reverse, you know, when they get into it, the the, the good guy, the classic thing is the good guy gets the over at the beginning of the match, gets broken, and then you have the heat that they call in the middle of the match, whereas the bad guy has the over. I'm talking like a classic one-on-one wrestling match. In this, they'll do falsies. With falsies, basically like you're going to give chance to the baby face we're going to make everybody believe he's making a comeback, but you're going to cut him like two, three times. You know, he's pulling the hair, giving the elbows in the stomach, you know, to get up and everything. So all those things. And then we do the big comeback at the end where the baby face wakes up and then the 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 bad guy just gets hit all over the place. Bang, 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 bang. And to the finish, which good guy could win, bad guy could win, bad guy could cheat, whatever. You know, that's the last detail. So that's the one-on-one of a match. So it's like a big balance between, like, obviously there's the physical performance and, like, each character themselves, but there's also um, the need to keep fans infested by putting yeah. forth, like, a quality story. Yeah. I feel nowadays things are more planned than, like, in old school where they would basically improvise everything almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel... And I stopped wrestling, like, in... It's September 2018, so it's been like three, three mm-hmm. like three, four years. But what I mean by that is by the end, because I was when I was trained at the beginning of the 2000, I was trained by a guy who was trained with the heart dungeon. We trained at the heart dungeon, so I was basically trained the same technique as the heart dungeon, like the, 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 the edge and the. the Benoit and like all those guys that was coming into the heart and, and everything, you know, the, the, the dungeon style, stampede wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I had that style, okay. which is more of a, it's a old, more of an old school style, uh, which still went into the attitude era and everything. But like after, um, in the last like 10 years, I would say 10, 12 years, it was, it's the rise of the indie wrestling now. So you see all those guys, uh, CM Punk, uh, Daniel Bryan, all those guys that were like more indie wrestler, more technical and everything. Uh, Kevin Steen, um, Kevin Owens, uh, all those guys, the rise of the indie guys that are all coming. And they changed the style of wrestling. So it was more technical, 
more planned and I had to adapt my style while I was doing it. And I found, I always find that the best is like a, a 50-50 balance where you plan some stuff and you leave some spot open to improvise and just, because if you plan everything, okay, the old school would improvise everything because they said, if we don't plan anything, it looks real because we're doing stuff on the spot. You know what I mean? Compared to the new school guys, they plan like every move, but the thing is, it's all planned now. So it's more like a choreographic dance or something. I like to... I think with more improvisation, there's more of a... It feels more genuine. It feels more sporadic as well. So I feel the best is to have a, a moments that you have like those sequences that are planned with crazy turnover and moves and everything, which are great. And then you give space to... Usually when I would plan a match, I would like usually like go over the beginning real quick leave the middle open, plan maybe the falsies, but like just just the moves. Like when I would go to, when I was wrestling, if I met a new wrestler, my first thing, especially at the end where I was more of a veteran, I guess, but uh, mm -hmm. my first thing, if I would meet a new wrestler, my first question was, what is, what's your finish? And what is your top three moves? I want to know, like, basically, you give me your finish and your top three moves. And is that because you wanted to work on, like, communication in the ring or you kind of knew what they were going to do? Because I want to make sure he makes him? them. Yeah, okay. So whatever I'm planning, I have to plan this with those three moves. If you want to add hmm. something else or after... It doesn't matter if he adds or not, or if if we think of something and we have to change it, it doesn't matter. Because your move that you look the best at doing, we're going to make sure we make them in the match. You know? So, and, and as it's a back and forth thing in wrestling. Like, either you or me win, make sure that I'll make you look like a million bucks, you make me look like a million bucks. Because we're all here, because if the, the show's better... There's more people. There's more people. You sell more merch. You sell. There's more money. It's a business. You know. You got to grow it. You know. Like in WWE, when Stone Cold became the champion, everybody understood. Okay, that's the new guy. That's the new cash cow that's gonna fill all our arenas for the next two years. We need that guy. We need to protect that guy. If that guy gives me a stunner, I'm dead. You know. He's a, you know, yeah. like we have to protect this because that's what makes the money. That's going to, you know, like you're only, you know, when The Rock was saying, know your role and shut your mouth. Yep. That's exact. He was talking to the backstage. Interesting. It's like, it's the thing that a big fucking wrestling star would tell to somebody who's like, well, well come on. No, 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 no. Hey, know your role. Shut your mouth. You're a mid-carter. I'm the main attraction. Know your place, son. That's exactly what it meant. <laughs> know your role and shut your mouth. It's kind of like when he started saying, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you think. It was always something. Else. And you have to understand, The Rock was like super young. Yeah. So he was telling that to people who were older than him. Like, know your role. Shut your mouth. I'm the big star here. I fill this arena. 
I bring so much money to this company. That's why your new contract was good. Not because you're good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, he wasn't wrong. I mean, like he's still going hard with basically everything he does. He's a savage. He's a huge public he's a figure savage. now. I, 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 I wish I had like a fifth of his discipline. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's inhuman. Yeah, he's done basically everything too, and and the capacity in which he pumps—I don't want to say pumps out like uh, content necessarily, but like he's done like wrestling, he's done movies, he's constantly bodybuilding, he's doing—he's uh, got quite a bit of other stuff that I'm not even sure dude, anymore. I'm not quite the sponsorship, he, dude. He's he's got this Under Armour Rock line. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, he's got mm-hmm. his own line on Under Armour. He has his tequila company now. He has an energy drink company. And I've heard that you have to pay him a million dollars if you want him to promote your stuff through his social media. That's the price. That's crazy. That's the price. But that comes with the the length of the career with all the stuff that's come before and what he's built from ground up. So, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a steep price tag, but you know what you're getting when you pay that it's money. It's a brand. It's a brand. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it is. And it's it's great. And it's great. I mean, he's a he's like what? Like 50 now? He's jacked. As well. <laughs> he's super jacked. Yeah, he's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> the shape he got to play Black Adam. That's going to come out this summer, I think. The superhero movie. He's jacked, man. <laughs> you know what? And he shows no signs of slowing down either. It's fucking crazy. Like, I'm sitting here at, like, 34, and I'm like, man, he makes me look tired. Yeah, dude, and that's the thing. Like, he's jacked, and even, I know, when I say, ah, The Rock is jacked, you have all those people saying, oh, yeah, he probably takes steroids. I'm like, probably, but that's not, it's not making it easier. That's the thing. No. That's what you don't realize. No, he's. Because you got it. Yeah, you can take steroids and not do anything, and then they're useless. Yeah, yeah. They don't show anything. But if you work hard, that's what you he get. He still out of wakes it. up at four. Like he's at at four thirty a.m. is in the gym every day. Mm-hmm. Every day, that's his cardio session only. Because he does his cardio, he wakes up at four. By four thirty, he's done the, like an hour, like forty five minute cardio session. Then he gets another meal. Then he goes for, depending on his schedule, sometimes he goes on set. Sometimes he goes to, you know, it's crazy. I was looking at his schedule. It's insane. It's insane. And he, like, he goes to bed at 1 a.m., like at midnight or something, and it starts all all over again. Mm -hmm. Same guys like him. Mark Wahlberg, insane. Goes to bed at, Mm -hmm. like, 8 p.m., wakes up at 4 Goes to gym, does his thing, does his business, does his shooting, does his like, still keeps time for his family and everything at eight p.m. Good night. <laughs> yep. That's well, like you said earlier, it's discipline, yeah. right? It's a, it's not an easy thing to do, and all of us fall off the wagon. Yeah. I mean, it's not not hard to, it's not hard to sway um, from your path, yeah. but if you have a goal and you stick to it, like. Actually, a good example, and I'm not just saying this because you're one of my guests, but if you look at everything you've done over the years, like whether it be the band, the wrestling, the streaming, um, and now getting back into another band, like you're disciplined in your own right, and you've done some incredible things over the years, and all of them complement each other. I think, to be honest, it's not my discipline because my discipline is not, I I don't feel it. It could be better. I think oh, it always could. Yeah, be yeah, sure. but I think my main thing is my determination. It's my, mm-hmm. 
I think it's it's always a thing that uh hey, I want to do this. And for me, I always get inspired like I'm a big movie buff obviously, but mm -hmm. like I always get inspired by I feel actors are really inspiring sometimes. Like when you check some actors and the the depth they go to play a role and it's just like they put everything aside to attain that goal at that moment. And I feel like it's, you know, I check guys like um, when you check, like, for example, Christian Bale, you know, yeah. went up and down some weights and his acting is crazy and everything. And then people say like he gets mad on set or some tech. Man, get out of his way. It's Christian Bale, man. It's like, are you fucking up his scene, man? This guy's been in character for two months. <laughs> you know? You know? So, like, for me, I don't know. I feel like there's always a way to get there. You know, there's always a way to get there. And it's always about, I think it's more, okay. I think it's more about sacrifice than discipline in my case. Yeah, I have a discipline. I have some discipline. I'm not the best, but I have some discipline. But I feel it's like, I don't know, my, I must have this certain hunger for things. And for me, I'm like, okay, so what do I need to get there? You know, mm -hmm. when I got into Naraxis, all right, I got into Naraxis at the end of 2006, beginning of 2007. I hopped on, do, did a couple shows, and then I went on this Europe tour, all right? And then this Europe tour, I had to quit my job in Montreal. And then I was here for a little while, and then we did another tour in May with, it was Naraxis headline with Fuck the Facts. I don't know, it was a Canadian trek. So we did the whole thing and we we're playing an hour every night. And by the time I did this and I came back to Montreal and then I took this other job where I was a stage builder tech, basically. So I was working in festival lifting stuff and everything. And when I was doing this, there's something that clicked in my head. All right. And it clicked in the sense of, Oh, My life is changing now. I'm going to be the frontman of a kind of big band. Like, mm -hmm. not the big band, but it was huge for me when I got there. You know what I mean? And so, it's totally. just like, okay, so I'm, I'm going to be fronting this band who does tour now. Uh, I'm going to be working a physical job. And I still want to do wrestling. So, there's something that clicked in my head. At that point, I remember when I was like, oh, I need to be like, I need to become almost like an athlete if I want to do all this. And that's where, like, because I used to always train everything for wrestling, but like maybe not as much, but that's where I got my training. Like I, I took it as a priority. So it wasn't like a discipline to, oh, I wake up, I go to the gym four times a week. It was more like, okay, I need to be in great shape if I want to keep this job, keep wrestling and keep headlining shows, you know, and do all this and get through it. Because I remember I did like my first tour and I got a bit sick during the tour 
and I was playing an hour every night, and that tour was hell, man. Because I was like in the back of the van the whole day and taking an hour trying to get myself up and get a Red Bull and go on stage and then give it all like it was my last day on earth and then almost pass out after the show and then start all over again. But like, I, I can't be like this every night, you know? Like, I can't be, I need to be, you know, I need to up my game. So I did. So that's why it became a priority. So that's why I'm saying it's more sacrifice and determination and hunger than real discipline. Because, yes, I got discipline. But, like, I was always saying to people, oh, you like going to the gym? I'm like, no, I don't like going to the gym. I like being in shape, though. Being in shape yeah. is amazing. And going on stage and never fearing that your cardio is going to give up. And you just say, you know what? I can jump on that amp if I want and go sing over there or jump in the pit. And I don't care because like nothing is, I don't want to say above me because it feels like I'm, <laughs> nothing is above me. Ha -ha. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying <laughs> is it's like not, it becomes like a, to a point where you're such in good shape that you don't need to care about this. All you need to care is do the song and entertain people. So whatever comes out in your mind, whatever you feel like doing, you feel like, uh, oh, I'm gonna, I don't know, I jump over the barricade and see how far I can go with my wires still singing and, and like pushing people in the pit at the same time and jumping back on stage and finishing the song. Like there was never a time was like, oh man, I'm gonna, never gonna be able to do that. Like, of course. Like I train four times, four or five times a week. Of course, I'm going to do that. You know, that's not even a problem in my head. So, so you become like limitless in your performance because you don't have the, the stress. Oh my, am I going to get tired? Am I going to get, oh my God, we do, we play 45 minutes tonight. It's going to be tough. No, you're going in like, let's crush this shit, you know, but you got to bring yourself there. It's not just people were saying, oh, you're so confident. No, no, I built my confidence. Like, Yeah, it doesn't just show up overnight. Yeah. And something that adds to all of this is how much passion you have for whatever whatever path you might take. Like, for example, like you in wrestling, you in music, that passion is first and foremost. It, it comes, but if I was to pick out one thing about what I'm hearing from your side of things is maybe that passion for like quality performance is is in all of your kind of interests because yeah. sorry it's weird because uh i feel like i feel like i'm a bit different than i don't want to say i'm special that's not what i'm saying <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> okay but what i mean by that is i feel i'm a bit different because i don't crave attention like personal attention like i'm i i have to make an effort to go and do something with my social media because i'm like why would you care what i do if i'm not on stage or i'm not on my channel like i don't like there's a thing and i see other people that share stories and everything it's just like dude why would you like i don't care about you like i follow you because your band is good or you're a good actor or you know what I mean? I don't follow you 
because I don't care what you ate for dinner. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't have. So there's a thing about me, like, that's not what I want to share, kind of. But, like, I love to entertain people. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons you started uh, Neuralix Live. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then I love to entertain people. And Neuralix Live, I wa like, I wanted to channel YouTube because I'm, I'm a big fan of YouTube and I always wanted to try this. And mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, I have no problem. I have no problem getting in front of a microphone, getting in front of a camera and get crazy and whatever. I don't care. Like last year on my birthday, I ate a whole cake live on YouTube. And then I got like <laughs> the biggest sugar rush and I started blabbling about single. Like I didn't care. People thought it was hilarious. I'm like, cool. If you like it, I don't care. You know, like, I don't care. Like, uh, I, dude, I was wrestling at spandex, man. Like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, Do you know exactly. what I mean? I don't care. So like, I don't like, I, I, I don't mind being a, an instrument of entertainment. <laughs> if I can say it like that. Like, I don't mind being that. Like, I kind of love it because, I don't know, I feel like I'm such a fan of some... I get entertained by such good movies and series and shows and wrestling and everything. I feel it's just great that I can do something myself because entertainment is so important because, you know, people go crazy if they don't have anything. Anyway, so... Yes, there's passion, of course. I'm passionate about all my thing. I love doing somehow <laughs> my mother would laugh hearing me that but like somehow and she understood that i'm attracted to unconventional projects a bit like yep. i was into wrestling and a death metal and youtube this is no like if you know somebody who did one of those three things you're like This guy is crazy. He's a YouTuber. Or this guy's <laughs> crazy. He's a wrestler. This guy's crazy. He's in the death metal band. Have you ever met a guy that did three, those three things? Or even two? <laughs> no. No. That's, that's, I, I guess I'm attracted to those things. And those things are attracted to me. It's like a, because when I started the YouTube, like, I'm like, yeah, I have no problem being in front of a camera, being in front of a microphone and do whatever. It's like, here's my problem. How does the <laughs> how does the camera work? How does the microphone work? How do you edit videos? Like what? Like I knew nothing. Like technically, I started with a laptop and a webcam. Like mm -hmm. my first videos. And then after a while, I bought a microphone. And then, oh yeah, it's better. And then after a while, I did another thing. And then I bought the camera and then a better microphone. And I switched to a, to, to a, a PC and it's like, oh, change my lights, uh, learn this, uh, buy, uh, buy this thing online. Oh, it's going to look great. It looks like crap. Okay, fail. So <laughs> it's try and, you know, and then here I am like almost like two and a half years later. And now I got some kids sending me messages on Twitter because they want me to help them with their videos. Like they're like, that's a cool. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I'm like, That's weird at the same time because I'm like, am I good enough to do this? And I realize I give them pointers and yeah, I'm not like the most technical side, but I can tell you, oh, your video's too long. You should edit this. You should bring down the volume of the music there not to get copyright claim. You could do this. 
uh don't forget to do transition between this like i'm i don't i don't have the best transition the best editing but like i know at least the base of what to do so guy i said that because i did that for a guy that was weird today because he sent me a video he, he sent me a message he's like i'm trying to get this video on youtube and i get copyright claim how do you do it so I give him a quick like, yeah, you have to cut the videos, have your sequence uh, under 10 seconds, lower your volume, mm-hmm. like then giving a few tips and he's trying to explain. And then he said, no, I told him like, is there a way you can send me the video so I can watch it? He's like, yeah, but I got to tell you it's in Polish. I'm like, all right, whatever. Send me the video. Even though I wasn't understanding, I made like... Oh, yeah, you don't see me. You don't see my camera. It's true. But uh, like, <laughs> I made like a two-page list of things because I was thinking the timestamps. You're making like, dude, your sequences are too long. You have to cut this. You have to cut that. And he had like a third. Like, that's why I realized I thought like he would send me like a 10, 12-minute videos. It was like 35 minutes. Like, oh, shit. Okay, that's a long hmm. video. And then I watched mm-hmm. it. And even though I couldn't understand what he was saying, I was still like, even though I couldn't, under, even though I couldn't understand what he was saying, saying I could still see the potential because, like, his voice is nice. He looks kind of good. He he does those little like charismatic expressions when he says something. You know, it's fun. I'm like, dude, you just have to move like your editing. Try to get some zoom on yourself or images if you talk about a character while you talk you can put the images of the character with a slow zoom on screen so it it's not just like you talk there's a there's a there's a, a video a, a, a quick cut of this the episode you talk cut you talk cut it's like put transition put some images keep the video dynamic so people stay there uh it's just like and then when i send in all those things i did like like oh yeah i might know what i'm doing after all <laughs> you know but i guess like well i mean you also had experience in music too so are there a lot of similarities between making a youtube video and tracking music i guess i guess yeah there's probably a rhythm to it i i knew that the rhythm uh, I would follow rhythm in uh, when I was wrestling a lot. And I was telling people okay. like, dude, everything is on four. It's like a song. It's like every movement you could cut in four. It's like one, two, three, four. Like when I was running the ropes, mm-hmm. it's like it wasn't four time. Bounce, one pace, two pace bounce one pace two pace bounce so it's like one two three four one two you know like it's always like a i think it was uh when it's 20 feet ring it was three pace anyway so it was always on time but and then and you follow wrestling it's like you put everything on the grid like in a studio because <laughs> like everything was just like you get hit one you start falling two, three, you hit the floor. You know, this was always like on the same time. So it's always on tempo. I guess that's how wrestling well, works in a way because I feel like yeah. wrestling, it's like driving. Like, I don't have to tell you, like, if you're driving, 
and there's uh, the, the the guy in front of you put his flasher goes to the left you know he's changing lane to the left where he's going to turn left you know because mm -hmm. he the signal everybody knows that everybody knows that you drive on the right side everybody knows that if you know like it's all simple you know wrestling's the same we just plant we just plan our stunts so we're all driving because we all know how to drive we all have that same way of driving the same rules you know so that's basically how a wrestling match does like you you're driving and then we're gonna plan how we're gonna crash <laughs> that's basically yeah it. it's basically like minor deviations yeah, right yeah we're gonna plan okay you and me we're gonna drive okay and we're gonna crash at the end but this is how we're gonna crash it's not a surprise we know both of us so we go in consequence or driving is going to be in consequences of this but like if i go into a wrestling match i could call you spot like old school service like a uh, grab the guy by the heads like and then uh, you put your i say that to myself because i always had long hair so i would put in front of my face like taker yeah. so nobody would hear see me speak to my opponent so I was always like, grab the high man again, tackle, tackle, drop down, reverse, slip from, backslide again, go, pack, 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 you know? So it's kind of the same thing, but we're all driving the same side. Like if I'm coming for a tackle, it's going to be a right shoulders. He knows. I don't have to tell him. I don't have to tell him to turn, you know, left. He knows it's left. Because we all have the, it's so, wrestling is kind of the same. It's it's kind of how it works. Do you find some similarities then between wrestling and uh, performing with your band as well? Like the the nonverbal communication and the like the cues that you guys give each other on stage? No, no, because because uh, no, because uh, when you play a concert, you know what song you're gonna play. Mm. Like that thing is planned. There's no improvising. If I would be in the jazz band, mm. we would start that song. I'll tell my bass. I'll tell like uh, the drummer. Okay, when we get like, let's have the bass player in that bad jazz band or whatever. And then uh, okay, when we get into that, give me like a couple measures. So I'm gonna improvise a little pass. Do, 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 do. You know, blink at the ladies in front. Yeah, what's up? Are you guys having a good time? Yeah, do, 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 do. and improvise a little bit. Then I turn around two, three, four, and then we go back into the song, you know, that's, you know, but like, you don't do that in metal. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a, yeah. People are just like, oh, I heard your album. Can you pull it off live? That's the, that's, <laughs> that's what a metal show is, especially like met, death metal, you know, I feel, you know, but like in between songs, like I never plan what I'm going to say, but I plan what I want to say okay let me explain this <laughs> it's just like if i do a show i know that i want to thank the band that played with us thank the promoter uh say our band name at least three times and uh you know oh yeah we're playing uh we're coming back uh, next month we're gonna play with this or Neuraxis, it was always, oh, we're coming back uh, next month on this tour. We're going to play with that band. We're coming back next month with Sepultura. Yeah, yeah, cool. Like, you know, like a cool pop in the show and then you continue your shit, you know? 
it's a are you able to notice um maybe after a show or a tour whether the i don't want to say the popularity of your music but if there are more streams of your music or more purchases at uh after that kind of thing like does that make sense um i don't even think that's yeah but like when i was with naraxis it's like it's the label was taking care of most of this our job was just to play the shows and get to the next city i remember when we we got a cylon out uh like we had a a a a good boost of of cd that sold in the first week first two weeks but after that, we were selling more CDs on the road than the label. Okay. It's it's crazy because like the tours we got with a Cylon, it feels like even though it was the, the, the band's fifth album, uh, it's just like we were like a new band for a lot of people. It's crazy. Yeah, they definitely like over the years changed their sounds quite mm-hmm. a bit. Um, what happened with like the hiatus? Why why did Naraxis kind of go silent? Uh yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> you worked yourself out for this one. Okay. Uh <laughs> basically what happened is we did thin line between. We signed with prosthetic and we ended up not voluntarily but we ended up like not touring as much as they would have wanted us to do can you believe it because um by the end of the three tours uh the bass player like didn't do tours because he had another job so we were always like struggling to find a session bass player our drummer had some personal issues so we ended up like quitting the band same with will so basically what happened is in the summer of 2009 i had a meeting with rob and me and him were basically what was left of the band like basically the band was me and rob and me and rob are very different style and i feel when i came in the band a lot was hanging on the line. And when you change a front man, like people always hate it. So he was very, I felt like he was very nervous. So he was always, I don't want to say it because it makes him look like bad, but he was a bit trying to micromanage what I was doing to make sure, you know, because there was a lot of money involved and everything. So, of course, and I had a lot of pressure when I made this in line between, which I feel, looking back at it, is what made, like, I could have done such a better album than this, but I felt like all the pressure I had worked against me in that one. Like, I was feeling like everybody, you know, even the band weren't sure of me then. Because they were afraid like I would change the band sound too much, which they were already doing music-wise. So me, I came in like people. Some people were mad. I like, say, Alex changed their axis. Dude, I didn't write those songs. I wrote the lyrics. Yeah. You know, but like I didn't write those songs. Like I didn't change the band. You think I would get in the band and the band would get more melodic? No. If that would be me, it's always like, no, heavier, heavier, faster, heavier. 
So if the band gets more melodic, it's not my fault. <laughs> you know, it's not me. Anyway. Then do you think some of that pressure came back from uh, from this band kind of existing before you joined? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but, like, there was pressure, but, like, I, to be honest, I felt, I felt the bad pressure was just coming, the, the, the pressure that, 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 that hurt me the most was the pressure coming from the band. Because they were nervous about what I was about to do. And everything went so fast because, like, we signed a contract in December. Uh, and then a week later, they told us, okay, we need your album done by April 1st on our desk. Jesus, that's not very much time. No. So we started, like, we were writing every day, like six jams a week. Dude, I was living six-minute walk from the jam space. That was my life for a while. And that was only that. And we we pulled it off somehow. <clears throat> I feel we should have cut a song from the album. It just, <laughs> that would have, if we just have taken one song out, it would have yep. like made everything breathe so much. But I feel like the guys all, like Rob and everybody also had the pressure because we signed this new contract with Prosthetic. So we wanted, you know, so the album went out. We did all those tours that I told you. And then I ended up like being almost alone with Rob. And then Rob went totally the opposite the second time around. And he basically told me, I'm not getting a second guitar player. It's not the right time. I'm going to get it. He, he basically told me, okay, Alex, what's your take on what should we do? Because he was always like, uh, like he was always afraid of bad press a bit and uh he says like i don't know what to do with this anymore you know what i said we should do the opposite of what you normally do we should open the book be super transparent tell everybody that our drummer and bass player are gone and organize their last show in Montreal. So everybody's going to be happy. They're going to have their last show. They've been in the bands for years. And then in the meanwhile, people will approach us to play with us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would agree with that yeah. too. Like that's the best way to um, garner some positive attention, but also yeah. send the band members a, a proper farewell, yeah. right? And I got to give it to Rob. Like he has a, a knife for finding new talent because he found both Olivier and now they're giga stars in the metal. Fucking Oliver played with Cryptopsies with Cattle Decapitation now. They're going to tour. They're going to have crazy tours coming. Crazy tour. Crazy tour. By the way, they have the same agent as Slipknot. <laughs> that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, that's what he was telling me. They signed a new contract or something. Maybe I'm not supposed to say, but whatever. <laughs> too late sorry ollie jet them uh, anyway and um and uh Baudouin, man he, he went to tour he went with cataclysm he won a canadian music award like dude those guys but like ollie Baudouin went got in the never never played blast beat 
okay, never played blast beat in his life, never listened to suffocation. He's the new interesting. He's new. He's the new drummer for Naraxis. He learned everything, and that's another way. That's another guy. Now you want to talk about discipline and drive? Now that's the guy. He came in the band. Okay, I remember my ex drummer was trying for years to get sponsors. He came in the band. All right, never did blast beat before. Never listened to death metal. I think he says, "Oh yeah, the only thing he knew was like." And one song from the live album of D side from some reason. That's the only like death metal he knew. And he got into the band and he was like, <laughs> I remember because he was a college teacher. He was like 24, a college teacher. And when we got him in the band, he was pissed because he cut, he had long hair and he cut his hair because he was beginning the semester at college as a teacher. And <laughs> since he's so young to be a teacher, He wanted to look more serious, so he cut his hair. And then we got him in the bed. No, no, I just cut my hair. <laughs> anyway, and he never grew it back. Like he just kept like short hair, whatever. So he came in the band, and, and during that year, he learned to play Naraxis. We wrote the new album with him, uh, and Olivier on bass, and we did all that. He learned during and before. He recorded the album. He learned to do the heel-toe techniques. He learned everything. And he's a lefty. Not that it changes everything, but it changed something when you play on tours and everybody's a righty and you have to switch. So just want to tell you that when we did the Sepultura tour, okay, I'm, I know I'm jumping uh, forward, but when we did the Sepultura tour, he realized that Four bands were going to play on his drum kit. He was the only lefty. Do you know what he did? Yeah. He learned his whole set like he was right-handed. He took a month between the two tours to play his whole set on a right-sided drum. Yeah, he's exactly, oh, yeah, but it's going to be so hmm. much more efficient. We don't want to have to switch toms in between bands and everything. It's going to be... <laughs> it could have been you motherfuckers that's my drums <laughs> you guys are gonna you know that you could have done that no he disciplined himself he says oh basically it's just a fill you have to learn the other side because i gotta ride and hide on both sides so i can go it's just mm -hmm. but he learned the fill on the dude <laughs> he learned the fill on the other side So a quick question yeah. about that, like, how do you, um, and maybe like a, a drummer might be a better person to ask, but like, I didn't realize there was a difference between right and left-handed drums or drum kits or like what, what is the difference? Well, basically the major difference, if it's a normal kit, you get like, if you're right-handed, like, a, okay. So you have like the Hyatt on your right, the snare in the middle, and then it's basically the toms are going to make a difference because if you're righty, the bass drum has to be on the right side for your right feet. And then the thumbs are going to be like the highest thumb on your, if you're sitting in, okay, if you're sitting on the drums, like you're the drummer. So the lightest thumb mm -hmm. is going to be on your left and it's going to go lower as you go on the right side. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if you're a lefty, The toms goes on the other side. Your hi-hat is on the right. 
the thumb starts from the right, TT, and then you go from the left, TT, 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 you know? So him... So it is the placement of each um, specific drum or yeah. apparatus, I yeah, guess. Yeah, because him okay, in death okay. metal, in death metal, you have two bass drums, so it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. side your bass drum, because you have two, okay? But what matters is the... F- it's basically the thumbs. Okay. Because you can always, like, have uh, uh, a hi-hat on both sides or a right on both sides. That doesn't change. And he was always playing his kit like all cymbals were equal on both sides. So he had, like, two crash there, two china there, uh, the two hi-hats, the two rides. So basically, he said, uh, instead of switching the toms and switching the four toms on the other side, between between my set before my set and after my set this is like it's gonna be less of a hassle if i just learn the <laughs> to play on the to play my set on a right-handed drum kit and that's what he did you know speaking of olivier um i have to give him a shout out because he's also a member of a band called obvert i'm sure you've yeah, heard yeah, them yeah, yeah, yeah. or or heard them um, the thing I think is really cool about that is he learned to play um, the right-handed drums and their their vocalist and guitarist, uh, Philip, he learned to play the guitar left-handed after an accident that actually stopped him from yeah, playing right-handed. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's insane. That's fucking crazy. That's insane. Like for most people... Most people, if you injure, like if you take an athlete, for example, if you if you injure them, they're pretty much done their career. If if you take a, a musician and you can't play with like if you're a singer, you can't use your voice anymore. Your career, your career is basically done. But he chose to go the exact opposite way and basically relearn it from ground up. That's insane. That's just talk insane. about discipline and determination, right? Determination, determination sure. and passion, because if you have mm-hmm. determination and passion, you'll find the discipline. Yeah, I, f- exactly. I feel like it, discipline becomes a tool at that point. Because if you have a passion and a goal and a dream and a drive, if you need to be disciplined to get there, you'll get discipline. If you need to get in shape mm-hmm. to get there, you'll get in shape. If you need to lose 20 pounds, I don't know, like cut your hair, like grow your beard, whatever you need to do is just like, okay, this is what I need to do to get there. So it's, I feel like mm-hmm. it's like, when people say like discipline is first, I say no, passion and drive is first. Because if you're passionate about what you're doing, you're going to find the discipline. Yeah, I have to agree with you, sort of. I, I think their their determination and discipline can be separate. I mean, discipline can always come second. Yeah. But if you're passionate about what you're doing and you're determined to do it, the discipline comes easy. Yeah, yeah, of course. You find the means. When you determine to get somewhere, you find the means. Exactly. It's, it's 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 just like this. Like when I'm looking back at what I would do for training when I was wrestling, mm-hmm. like I look at that and I'm like, there's like I can't believe I would do that much. But like I wanted to attain my goals. But like mm-hmm. the exactly. same thing, I don't have those goals anymore. So there's no way you're gonna get me in the gym to squat like four hundred pounds anymore. Like I'm not gonna do that. Well, anymore. priorities change. Yeah, and, I don't need- and obviously you have other projects on the go. Yeah, so. I don't need that. Now I want to do. I want to do like yoga and jogging and become like a cardio machine on stage. Like that's another goal yeah. now, you know. But there's a different. And I realize, like, I go to the gym. And I don't really know how to attain that goal. So you know what's my next step? I'm gonna get a trainer. 
and he's gonna tell me how to attain this with my body type and my whatever you know that's the mean to get there that's always like this that's always like dude when i was wrestling there was a while where i was training six times a week okay i would eat 36 eggs a week like six shit. eggs every morning six days straight and then four other meal and like this killer shake 10 minutes before i go to bed it's just like a constant go to Costco because I'm out of chicken kind of thing. <laughs> so it was yeah. like chicken and fish and beef or like horse meat and rice. And at the end, like it was becoming like I would work. I would be at work. We're working on like on a field or on a festival somewhere and there's no microwave. And I would go in my van and take out the meal out of my, you know, cooler and just eat it cold. I need to eat now. No, no, it's two o'clock. I need to eat now. It's two o'clock, man. I can't skip. You know, if there's one thing I don't miss about weightlifting, it's timed eating and eating so much that it's just not that enjoyable anymore. I was... I was lucky because I have a killer appetite. So, uh, yeah, I remember like when I got, when Naraxis, um, the last year of Naraxis, when I started wrestling more, and then in 2012, I got into like NCW, which is a federation I've always wanted to wrestle with in Montreal. And then, mm-hmm. then, uh, I'll go back on the Naraxis breakup after. So I started training there. I trained for a whole year. And then uh, I realized what I was becoming as a character in this federation and overall and my style was a bit changing. So uh, I was realizing that uh, I need to be a powerhouse. I need to be a powerhouse. That's what people want me to become. I'm, you know, I'm six foot, but I look like six foot four on the ring. Like, you know, like I need to become the powerhouse. So I went to a trainer, knocked on his door, a guy I knew. And I'm like, dude, how do you gain 20 pounds of muscle without steroids? How do I get 20 pounds of clean muscle? In this next six months, he said, I hope you're hungry. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's go. Gave me that program. Dude, the eggs were not working at first. He says, if you can't eat the eggs at the beginning, just get a shake and go to work and then go to your first meal. So whatever. I was doing this at the beginning. And then two weeks in, it's like I needed those eggs. And two weeks later, because you were expending so much yeah, energy, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was okay. like, wrestling season was starting, so I was wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I was wrestling. I started that training at the same time I was wrestling, and so it was all like combined, like all together at the same time. I remember I did my first six or seven weeks of training. He says, "Do six weeks and then come back and see me." So I do my first six weeks. I take notes on everything. I go on the, I wait, I take my weight in every sessions. Like I do the whole thing. And when I'm done, I go back to this thing. I'm like, 
oh, I think I did a good job. I feel great. Uh, I'm wondering what he's going to say. And I opened the door on <laughs> his office and I came in. He's like, holy shit, dude. It's like everything is sticking to you. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, I'm like, it's working? The dude, like, he, he skipped step two. Like he what like he had like uh like uh steps to my program. He I mm -hmm. like after stage one, he made like I skipped to stage three, like straight away. He says, dude, dude, really? Like it's because for him, like he was uh he was also training like uh people who do competition for bodybuilding and fitness uh, mm -hmm. stuff like this. Um So for him, like when he was trying to get somebody big, the problem was always like those people were ripped, but the the thing to get them in size was the, you know, and me, I'm the opposite. Like you wanted me to get big. I can get big, man. Like, but you want me to slim down and be like, you know, uh, ripped, cut. That's the, the, my metabolism has a harder time, especially now that I'm 43, but whatever. So Yeah. So basically, uh, it was just working. So I just kept on doing, 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 doing. And by three months, in, like two months into my program, people, like some people legit thought I was taking steroids. Like some people would not believe me that I was a natural because I was getting so big so quick. Like, he's on steroids. He's on steroids. He's not going to be like this at Christmas. You'll see. You'll see. And then I get a Christmas, I'm bigger. And then I go for <laughs> a week at my mom's. And I eat some turkey and everything. And then I came back. So when I got to this guy, second week of August, I got into this office. I need to gain 20 pounds. I was 215. All right? I came back from Christmas Maybe I had like a couple pounds of turkey and stuff. But when I came back from yep. Christmas in January 4th, I had a match. I would, I was 246 pounds. That's impressive. And you said you're six foot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good amount of weight. Yeah. Come, I'm a, I'm a heavy guy. Like I'm tall, but I'm not that like I'm six foot, like flush, like no. Uh, so I, So I'm like tall, but like, I feel like tall starts at me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just like a half an inch uh, <laughs> shorter and they would call me tall anymore. You know, and it's just like, you're just five eleven and a half or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm six foot, like super flush, but I was always like super heavy for my size, for my, uh, yeah, for my length or whatever. <laughs> just a bigger frame. Mm. I guess it's all from my mother's side. My mom is like five nine. Uh, she was always like 180 pounds or something. You know, my uncles are huge. My grandfather was mutant. Like I'm just average in my family, <laughs> like average size. I have some cousins like six foot three, you know, like, you know, I'm just a. Um, On my mother, uh, on my mother's side, I'm just the average size, I guess. Because <laughs> everybody's, you know, come from Gaspésie in the Maritimes. I don't know. Maybe I get that former gene or something like this. I don't know. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah that was my thing because i was when i got into wrestling because that's one thing like i was never an athletic person i never did sports when i was younger but like i did music and theater and everything so i knew how to act i knew how to speak on a microphone and everything but i wasn't athletic i didn't have good coordination and everything so that was a challenge for my coach but i was i i, I wasn't breaking <laughs> straight up like i wasn't breaking that's one it's that determination again yeah like like about. like i would start all over and just like come back the next day and i was still fine like and people were like oh my god my back my knees oh man i can't go to school today what are you going like dude i'm already there get your <laughs> ass over here <laughs> you know that was that, that was me <laughs> i remember like i couldn't do there's a thing they call like the candle when you learn to wrestle is basically you go upside down on your hand with your feet in the air just uh wait english words you you uh you know if i put my 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 hands on the floor all right and i lift yeah. my legs in the air to do like a candle you know what i mean and i think i it's basically it's probably another word in english that or expression you guys use but like you do like a stand up on your hands yeah we call it i think it's a hand yeah it's a handstand thank I'm you very much yeah correctly. that's the word i was yeah. looking okay. for <laughs> okay so <laughs> So basically, there's a thing when you learn to fall on your back in wrestling, you do a handstand and then you let mm -hmm. yourself go and fall on your back. Is that just to fall like evenly? Yeah, because you have to protect your lower back, tuck your chin mm -hmm. so it doesn't hurt your neck and your head and extend your arms. And it's basically if you see judo guys, they do basically the same thing when they fall. Yeah, like um, what's it called? Fuck, I think. It, a break fall yeah maybe? yeah it or looks almost like, like you slap the ground at the same time you fall you know with your hand and arm uh yeah and you would do the same thing with your feet right yeah like yeah, you yeah tuck your knees in a little bit yeah. okay so basically when you fall you your feet lands your arms your upper back but your neck and head doesn't touch and your butt and lower back doesn't touch even though sometimes when you watch on tv it looks like the lower back is touching but like it's barely it's all the upper back taking sorry the damage because the upper body is so tough yeah mm -hmm. when somebody says his back hurt it's never the upper back it's always my lower back hurts when you say my back hurts it's the lower back same thing with the front like 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 i could hurt you in the stomach or hurt your ribs and everything but have you ever broken your chest no <laughs> that thing is tough <laughs> that's why all clotheslines the chops everything it's always on the chest because and that's why like wrestlers have bigger chest it's basically like our body armor because most of the hit are gonna come there and the upper back because you fall on it if you get clubbed in the back it's always the upper back so that's the big, you know, armored. When a wrestler works out, he wants to have a big back and a big chest because it's going to protect himself. It's like it's protective and it looks better on stage. It right? looks better and it's a body armor, basically. Yeah. 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 So that's why, like, when you watch wrestling, you'll see most of the hit are always the big hit. He falls, the upper back takes most of of the damage that's a damage mm -hmm. fall whatever fall damage 
and the, most of the hit comes on the chest. Cool. Back elbows. Thanks for teaching me so much about wrestling today. <laughs> Could you imagine? If you were here with me, I would show you like clinch or whatever and whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say that like I've been wrestled in like almost four years now. But uh, yeah. I guess it's because the thing with wrestling is the basics never change really. It's going to evolve. It's going to change with times. New moves are going to come in. Like I realize now uh, on TV, when they run, they do this thing where usually when you, you tackle somebody, falls on the ground, you're supposed to, to, to start running on your right side. But I realize like mm -hmm. they, they, they change the technique a little. So on the TV, they always run profile to the camera. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, they modified. Yeah, they up. modified some wrestling techniques so it looks better for the in, for the camera. That makes sense, especially uh, nowadays yeah. when you had everything closed for so long. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and even even before that, it's because the camera most of the shot are in this side of the arena. You know, when you watch WWE Raw, for example, you see yep. the. If I watch your TV in front of you, the wrestler comes from the left side, mostly, you know, and and so you see on your left. So the camera is basically, if I'm the wrestler coming in, the camera is on my right. So you have to perform in that way. So that's the thing. People that you see on TV, Okay, I have the best place, so you see them on TV. But like, it's the other side that you don't see on TV that get the most show because most of the wrestlers are gonna turn to them to do their thing mm -hmm. because there's the they're the side of the TV viewers. Whatever. It kind of reminds me of um. There's a cinematography um strategy, I guess, like when 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 the camera cuts to different characters and they're having like a dialogue, they try, they tend to keep them on the same side so that the, the viewers don't necessarily, they don't get confused yeah. or don't, they, they get more of an understanding of what the space is yeah. looking like in, in that show. So it kind of, it's similar to that in, in that regard. Like it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's dude. I've been into movies. I've studied theater in school. I did wrestling. I did music. I watched, I'm into YouTube and anime now and the basic rules of entertainment. Like there's some basic rules that don't change. You just adapt them to the medium. But like there's there's ways of telling stories and like this, the basic rules are all the same. Like you wouldn't believe how much, I love to give that example. It's the best, all right? Okay. You know, Batman Begins. The movie? Yep. Well, okay. Batman Begins is a 101 storyline for wrestling where your new babyface characters wins the title at the end at WrestleMania. It's a one-on-one story. You could follow the beat of that story okay and make a wrestling story with the same frame it's the same thing so that's where you realize it's 
always say that with directors is there's only like seven ways to tell a stories and most people use two of them mm -hmm. and and my example for batman begins is okay bruce wayne is your new baby face character all right so you start the story you give him a trauma or something to give him a personality to his character okay and then he gets his ass beat because he hasn't gotten anything by the 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 Maroney, the, the, the gangster at the beginning of the movie. And then and so he quits and then he finds a mentor. The mentor, the mentor may haven't learned all the, 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 the wrestling, whatever. We'll say wrestling. So he learns all the move and he becomes better. And then you realize that, oh, he cannot follow that guy because like your mentor, well, his boss, he's a villain. So you go against him. And then that solidifies that you're a good guy. So the first thing that Batman does in that movie when he comes back, he gets a rematch with the gangster and wins. Ta-da! That's the, you know what I mean? That's the, he lost the first time, he won, he's better now. Okay, so he passed that. So in his year, imagine it's a year to go to WrestleMania. You want that guy that nobody knows at the beginning to be your big star to win the championship at WrestleMania in a year from now okay so you pass him his first challenge he gets beaten and cheated at first beats the guy slash oh what do we have another new villains first confrontation between scarecrow and batman scarecrow wins <laughs> he gets he yeah. poisons batman he lights his suit on fire batman learns come back beats the villain ah i'm on mm -hmm. top now oh wait there's a new villain's pa 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 surprise heel turn. It's your mentor. He was a villain all all along. Oh no, he kicks your ass. Means burn your house and everything, but he kicks your ass. Oh no, you almost down and you got build yourself up come back. You do the big final thing at the end and you beat your mentor. Now the student has become the master, aka the champion. My job is done. That's a perfect scenario. It wins every time. Every time. And what makes it feel even sweeter is the fact that he was beaten so relentlessly. Yeah. And they have to overcome such odds to, to be the victor. And that doesn't matter if it's in film or wrestling or storybooks. Uh, well, I, storybooks, that sounds lame. Video games. But stuff like that. Like it, it's, it's a trope that's tried and true. Yeah, right? because you... Yes, because you can have... People won't cheer you got to create sympathy for your for your good guy well and i think nowadays too the easy win is overrated and people just don't invest they don't care about it anymore yeah but like they do that's the thing like they don't know they think they don't and they'll even they'll even they'll even use that trope in with characters like deadpool man or, you know, like they'll do that. You have to create sympathy for your characters all the time. Yeah. Like what I mean is that they, you couldn't just have a straight up bad guy versus good guy scenario where the good guy always wins. Like you have to have some mm -hmm. sort of complication yeah. in the middle that makes it feel that, that the victory is worth yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Create sympathy, create hardship, obstacles. So mm -hmm. when you do a story, that's why I love the new Batman movie so much. Because... The Batman that starts that movie is not the same Batman at the end. 
No, he's broken. Yeah, but uh, he learned something. He changed. He went over. He passed some obstacle, and he's a growth version, a grown version, a better version than what he was at the beginning. You know, he goes through this arc. Anime fans love the the term arc. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, you're gonna go into the tournament arc now, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know, but that's the, that's the thing. It's just like an arc, and during that arc, a character has to go from point a get some hardship get broken learn from his mistakes or whatever and at the end he's a changed person for better or worse you have stories where at the end he's broken i used to i used to well yo it's 20 years old so i can spoil this i used to be a big fan of 24 with Kiefer sutherland okay, okay. the first season whatever like he does the thing. He stops the terrorists. He saves a, he saves a, his, the city, and then and then and then. And at the very end, the, the at the very very end, and I thought that's the best move they ever did in that series. That's what made that show. It's just like he saved everybody, and at the very end, he arrives, and his best friend in the CTU, the 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 the, the, the thing, uh was an undercover agent and she kills his wife. And that's how season one ends with him crying with his dead wife in his hand. It's horrible. It's perfect. Totally. And it brings people back it's so much. Perfect. Faster. Because you had him one just before. So everybody's like, yeah, he saved his daughter. Yeah. He saved the city. Jack Bowers, the man. But yeah. And then he comes back and he wasn't, he just wasn't fast enough to save his wife. And the wife dies. Oh, my God. So it's like, same thing with wrestling. It's all about yeah. highs and lows. All you want to do in wrestling when you're a wrestler is have people do, hey, hey, that's all you want them to do. That's all you're playing with them to get that reaction. That's, that's it. And that's, I always felt like 24, sorry for spoiler if people want to see that thing from 2001, <laughs> but whatever. At least there's like eight more seasons that I haven't spoiled. But like a wife ends at the end of season <laughs> one. So when they get into season two, is like, Jack Bauer wears a long beard and he's being like isolating himself and the daughter has lost contact a bit with him. Like So, so you bring the character somewhere else. So when your character starts season two, he's not the same character you saw in season one. You know, there's been a change, an arc, a growth. There's something happened. Because if nothing happens with your character, there's no interest. No, it dies pretty yeah. fast. That's why I like that new Batman movie so much. Mm -hmm. So much because... I f I you, feel that growth. Sorry to interrupt. Are you talking about the Robert Pattinson yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's okay. why I like that one so much because I'm not gonna spoil it. That one, that one's recent, but <laughs> it's just <laughs> like there's a definite arc in that story, and cool where the character is at the beginning compared to where it's the end. It's different, and I love it. And there's a growth, character growth, so important major importance uh, primordial because if your character stays the same it's boring mm -hmm, exactly yeah. it's always the best move. so we are 
We're past that two hour mark there, Alex. Did you go through all your questions and whatever? Your I don't know. I don't know why you planned. Oh man, this. I, <laughs> you know what? I have so many questions to ask. I we could talk for another two hours, but um, in the interest of keeping any listeners interested, I think maybe we could do another episode sometime. Yeah, maybe I could come back in two weeks or next month or something and do uh, the 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 guy who speaks too much part two. Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. I'm, I'm down for a part two. So fun to. That'd be awesome. Um, before we shut this down, though, um, when fans are looking for your music, where's the best place for them to find it for you? Okay, we're on Spotify. We're at Bandcamp. Tomorrow is uh, first Friday of the month, by the way. So, oh, but I know this is pre-recorded, so whatever. Yeah, it is too. But the first Fridays of the month is the Bandcamp, where if you buy the album there. They, they give all the money to the band. They don't take their cut or whatever. Uh, so it's band, band something Friday. I don't know. <laughs> I have too many. Band Camp Friday, band Camp Friday or something. <laughs> or, yeah. I'm not too sure. Yeah, but I don't remember the name. Anyway, anyway it. it's, it's the, the first Friday of the month. So this, so band yeah. camp, of course, um, you can check out. We have a crazy, I'm so proud of that music video uh, for the anomaly. It's on YouTube. And basically when you look for my stuff, it's, Basically, everything is that fracturous metal. So you type fracturous metal uh, and you're going to get there. It's fracturous metal on YouTube, on Facebook, uh, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, we're on Spotify. And uh, yeah, and um, uh, we, we just booked our studio for July 1st. Nice for new music. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're awesome. It's going to be. I think it's going to be six, seven songs total. So awesome. we're get, it's close to be a full album, I guess. Because we wanted to do another EP, and we ended up getting inspired, I guess. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we now we have like uh, six songs, and we're working on a seventh. So Nothing wrong with that. So uh, Yeah, it's going to be crazy. The new, yeah. If you like L'Appel du Vide, it's... It's going to sound like the prototype version of this craziness we're coming with in the fall. Because I told my guy, we're recording this. I, I, I said to my guy, there's no way we're not releasing something else before the end of this year. That's, that's the thing. Like we, we lost two years. Now we're going to catch that, that two year back by having like two releases one year apart. Kick it up enough, yeah, right? Yeah, the, the goal is to have... The, uh, La Pelle de Ville came out like November 5th. Maximum by November 5th of this coming fall where you're going to have the new Fracturous album everywhere. Awesome. I'm stoked to hear it, man. I'm, yeah, I love the EP, and so I can't wait to hear what you guys have in store. Yeah. yeah if, you like, if you like what's on the EP, you're going you're gonna to love what's coming next because that's pretty, basically when I listen to it now... It's basically just a prototype of what the band is. Like now that I'm further in, I realize mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, it's all, you know, like everything you like on there, it's going to be there, but like the better version, it's faster, it's crazier. It's, uh, yeah, I'm so excited for this. I know every every musician will tell you that our next album is going to be the heaviest. It's going to be the best. Of course, they have to say that. But in my case, it's really 
it's gonna feel like you guys have missed an album in between almost because you have to understand like l'appel de vide was written three years ago you guys are hearing it now but for us it's like three years ago it's a long time especially when you're locked up and have nothing better to do except for create yeah so now it's gonna be all like all full steam ahead man just <laughs> crazier faster catchier the whole thing man it's gonna be insane I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank you again for spending this time with me today, man. I, I appreciate it. I know we had some complications last time that we uh, got together. So for you coming back and, and joining me again, that's in, incredibly, um, I do. I'm honored. No problem. Actually. So thank you. You're again. such a nice guy anyway. And uh, I'm excited for the sequel for the part two. <laughs> <laughs> me too, man. Me too. It's going to be great. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.